Father, thank you so much for the worship and for the ways that we can gather together and be your church. Lord, I pray that as uh, we celebrate, continue to celebrate four years together today, uh, Lord, that you would just um, be with us as we jump into the word, Lord, and as we look forward to what you are going to be doing in our church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, church, happy four-year anniversary. I am so excited to be celebrating four years with all of you. We made it. We got through 2020 together. Uh, we got through all the craziness of the last year. And man, am I excited about what God has for us in the future. Um, you know, it's crazy thinking about what has happened in our church. The first three years of our church, um, God just built something really, really beautiful. Uh, and if you're here with us for the first time, uh, we, we are celebrating our, our four-year anniversary today. And, uh, you know, our church feels like it started 20 years ago, but really only started four years ago. But, uh, you know, the, the friendships and the the family that has happened from here, the amount of stories and the, the craziness that has happened as thinking about all the cool things that, that have happened over the last few years. I, I think about some of my favorite memories, you know, our, our first Easter egg outreach, which we call the Hunger Games, uh, was in a park not too far away from where we used to meet in IS30 because we had 400 kids just killing and attacking for eggs. And that was our first outreach ever as a church in the community. Uh, or our preview services and our ugly sweater competitions and our Thanksgiving potlucks and our dinner parties and our New Year's Eve celebrations and our Christmas services and Easter services and all the incredible uh, things that God has done. It's hard to believe he packed all that into uh, just a few years. And uh, I, I want us to take a moment just to celebrate that, celebrate that, that God has done an incredible work very quickly in our church. And it, it's really exciting to see what else he has planned. Um, you know, in those kind of first three years as a church, I really saw God build something beautiful with our community. And this, this last year, what it felt like, like God was putting us through the fire. Uh, he was purifying us, uh, as it says in Scripture, with the refiner's finer, so that we can be as gold, getting rid of the impurities, really working through our DNA and our core and our culture uh, as a church. And what I believe that God is going to do this year is going to launch us into uh, the original place where he has called us to be from the very beginning. I'm really excited to talk about that. Uh, but before I uh, talk about that, uh, I'm sharing kind of what is the vision for our church as we look ahead to the future, uh, you know, as we think about where we have been the last year, what we have been doing, and then where we believe as, as a leadership, as our eldership believes where God is taking us in the future. Uh, but before I get there, I want to spend some time just in the scriptures and really grounding ourselves in scripture um, and, and thinking through as what God has called us to do, some of um, some of these scriptures where we see the church in action. What I like to do every year as we celebrate our anniversary is just do what I call a Vision Sunday, where we talk about the vision of the church. We talk about what God has called us to do, how he has called out to live out our values of community, discipleship, and prayer as a church. And so this year, I really want to focus on our mission um, and, and looking at mission and scripture because that has been the clear uh, tone that God has spoken to us about of what we need to be focusing on and doing as a church moving forward. And so I want to start in the very beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is seen as one of the great commissions or a version of the great commission in scripture that Jesus gives. And it says here, uh, Jesus speaking to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So before Jesus here ascends into heaven, he is speaking with the disciples, and he is, it says in the very beginning of Acts that he is teaching them about the kingdom of heaven for, for a long time. 
Um, and this is the period after his resurrection. So he, he did his public ministry. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And then he spent some time teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. And before he ascends into heaven and sends the Holy Spirit, this is kind of his last conversation he has with them, the last thing that he tells them. And he tells them this, this commission that you will be my witnesses and you are when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are going to be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, that was the city that they were currently in, in Judea, which was the surrounding region of Jerusalem, in Samaria, which is the surrounding region of what we would call Israel in Scripture, and then to the ends of the earth, which is they were going to fulfill what God's original promise to Abraham was, that through him all the nations of the earth was going to be blessed. And so this was that fulfilling that the good news of Jesus as king was going to be spread through the disciples. And so after this, Jesus, he, he, he shares with them, he tells them, you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to go preach the gospel, you're going to go preach the gospel everywhere. And as soon as I go up, the Holy Spirit is going to come down. And so Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes down. We have the day of Pentecost where the disciples are praying in the upper room. And as they are praying, it says that tongues of fire fell on their head and they felt a mighty rushing wind come into the room and they started speaking in all these different languages and the people in the street were either listening to the gospel or saying those people are drunk with wine but Peter gets up he preaches the very first sermon in the New Testament and what happens thousands of people come to faith and you see from this very moment the church explodes onto the scene Thousands of people are coming to know Christ, and it says every single day, more and more and more people are coming to know Jesus. And when we read what we read in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 are some of my favorite depictions of the church community in Scripture. And we've talked about these verses often as we've talked through our church vision, as we look at them in our church membership classes, as we've talked about them on Sundays when we look at what kind of church we want to be. We've constantly come back to these scriptures in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 of what true church community looks like, where they're sharing amongst each other. They're generous with each other. They are at the apostles' feet learning and, and obeying scripture and, and you see unity among them. You see the power of God present in their midst. And through all of this, you see that the church continues to grow on a regular basis. They're having food together. They're in each other's homes. They're caring for one another. It's, it's one of the most incredible and pure versions of the church that we see in Scripture. And it is an amazing thing to witness and as the church begins to grow, something happens as if you put humans together for any amount of time, we have the privilege of being able to watch reality shows. And if you've ever seen a good reality show, you know that the first episode or two, usually things are nice, people smile and nod at each other. But then after that, they start to get serious and people start to get on each other's nerves and start to tick each other off. And they don't, you know, what was okay on day one really isn't okay on day four and five because this is a habit and it's really annoying. And so what happens when you bring a bunch of people in close contact with each other? There is drama. And so we see that as the church begins to develop, we see the, the beginning of drama begin to take place in the church. Some of the first big pieces of drama that the church has starts to develop. We see uh, a couple coming to the apostles and lying to them about what they have done, how much money that they've given uh, after selling their home. And, and Peter looks at these people and he says, why are you lying to the Spirit? You know, you could have just told us the truth. And after he says this, they drop, they drop down dead right in front of uh, the apostles and fear comes upon the entire church. Then uh, we see that there's discrimination that begins to happen in the church where the Hellenistic uh, widows, which are the Greek Jewish widows, weren't being cared for to the same extent that the uh, Israelite Jewish widows, Hebrew widows were being cared for. And so there's discrimination drama that happens in, and the Hellenistic Jews begin to complain about this. And so the apostles get together and they think, how are we going to solve this problem? So they appoint the first deacons in the church, uh, Greek uh, men, young men, uh, Jewish men to then 
step up to a place of leadership and begin to take care of the Hellenistic widows in the church. Uh, And so you see right from the very beginning after Jesus leaves that when the Holy Spirit comes, there's just kind of this explosion onto the scene where this sect of Judaism, uh, this, this small sect of Judaism that believed Jesus was the Messiah begins to grow exponentially very quickly. And with the exponential growth, there begins to be internal problems that happen uh, with it. And then uh, what was interesting is something wasn't happening, right? There, you know, the, the apostles are preaching the gospel Uh, You see that they are going to the temple regularly to pray and to read. You see that they are forming communities in each other's homes. Uh, You see that they're getting close to one another, uh, i.e. they're fighting with each other. You know you're getting close with somebody if you start fighting with them. Uh, But one thing wasn't happening. And what was not happening was the church was not spreading to the surrounding regions, as Jesus had told them to do. All of this was happening in Jerusalem, but nobody was being sent out to go and preach the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, They were just building the church in Jerusalem. And so then uh, what happens is Acts chapter 7 and 8 happen. The church uh, receives its first martyr, and a martyr is somebody who gives up their life for the gospel. And, And so when there was discrimination in the church. These, these seven uh, men that were appointed as deacons to reach and care for the Hellenistic widows, one of those men, Stephen, uh, begins to preach the gospel. And while he's preaching, the, the religious elite cannot take what he's saying so much. They, you know, if, if you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he bothered the religious elite so much that they even tried to kill him. Uh, one time before he was put on the cross, but then later they get their way. They crucify him. And Jesus told his disciples, if they do this to me, you better expect that they're going to do it to you. And so Stephen uh, gets up and he preaches a message and they hate what he says so much that they actually kill him. They kill him for the, the message that he preaches. They scream blasphemy and they stone him um, and he dies, and, and we see the first martyr uh, of the church at that point. And so this actually, with uh, uh, Stephen dying, this starts the, the great persecution, the first period of great persecution in the church that would last in the Roman Empire for 300 years uh, after this. Uh, some years it was worse than others, but at this moment, uh, it begins a great and harsh persecution And the persecution was led by a man named Saul, who we later uh, uh, gets converted and his name gets changed to Paul and he writes the letter of Colossians, which is the letter that we're currently reading and in this middle of a series of uh, as a church. But he is the one that is in charge of the um, Jewish sect that is persecuting the Christians. And he is sending people literally house to house, dragging out Christians from their home, either beating them on the spot or taking them to jail or killing them uh, where they were. And they are going all throughout Jerusalem looking for Christians, looking for Christian gatherings, for homes of at this point what they called the way of people that were following this Jesus, this Messiah, and they were persecuting them, beating them, uh, imprisoning them, or killing them. And so I want to read this scripture in Acts chapter 8. This is right after uh, Stephen is killed uh, and to, to kind of see what happens here. And remember, Saul later is the one who becomes Paul. So you can read along with me, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to verse 8. And it says this, says, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him, they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. This is so interesting. What happens is this persecution comes in. And like I said, Saul is sending people house to house, dragging out Christians, killing, uh, throwing them in jail, beating them. And so naturally what happens when you get persecuted, there's a scattering of the church. People start running to the surrounding regions. And Paul, uh, Philip here runs uh, to a city in Samaria and begins to preach the gospel. And when he preaches the gospel, people begin to listen, and it says that they begin to um, follow in the way or the way of Jesus. And Philip actually starts casting out demons and healing the sick. And if, as you read the scriptures, you realize that this casting out of, uh, of demons and healing the sick meant one thing that the kingdom of heaven had entered into that city. The kingdom of heaven was now taking ground among us, that the kingdom of darkness, which is known by because of its sin that has caused the demonic powers to rule over the earth, which has caused sickness, which has caused all these different uh, things happen on the earth, the signature of the kingdom of heaven coming was that the kingdom of darkness had to leave, couldn't stay because this territory, this ground was now being taken over by the kingdom of heaven. And so the demonic forces of, this, of the region begin to flee, sickness begins to be cured, and the kingdom of heaven comes. But if you look at how did the kingdom of heaven reach this area and reach this city, it was the persecution of the church in Jerusalem that causes the church to spread with God's first mission that he gave to the church was to go out and preach the gospel. But they didn't do that. They stayed in Jerusalem and they preached. And so it wasn't till persecution came that God uses this persecution in the church of Jerusalem to scatter them. And when they scatter, everywhere that they go, they begin to preach the gospel. And so now the gospel starts to go to all of these different regions, all of these different cities surrounding Jerusalem. And we see that the Great Commission actually starts to get fulfilled because of the persecution that happens in the church. And if you read church history, this is actually something that happens very often, that when the church is persecuted, when there's hardship in the, in the church, it is a means that God constantly uses as a way for the original mission of the church to come back and to flourish, which is to go and be the witnesses of our new King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who sits on the throne in heaven and his earth, the earth is his inheritance. And the, the proclamation, the good news that he has come. And so God uses, if you, if you look here from the very beginning, he is using persecution as a means for the church to fulfill its mission. We read right here in Acts chapter 8 that as they were persecuted by Saul and the people that worked with Saul, that the church was scattered. And we see just one person here, Philip, which again was one of the people, one of the deacons that was named um, in the um, discrimination case for the Hellenistic widows. One of them was Stephen or Stephen, and the other one was Philip. And Philip goes to one of the cities. He goes and preaches. They receive the gospel. The kingdom of heaven comes to that city. And if you read the rest of Acts, what happens is Acts chronicles how the gospel went from Jerusalem all the way to Rome and beyond. And so really it is a chronicle of how uh, the, the, the thesis statement, the mission of the church in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which is you will be my witnesses 
um, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, what Luke does when he writes the book of Acts is that he, that is his thesis statement, kind of like what he says the book is going to be about. And then the rest of the book is how the gospel begins to spread. And in the first half of Acts, or in the first part of Acts, it spreads through Peter's ministry in Jerusalem. And then Saul is introduced is converted, and then the rest of the book of Acts is mainly about how Saul takes the gospel to all of these different cities, ending in Rome, and that's where um, the book of Acts ends because Rome was seen as the seat of power in the world. And you know, as the saying goes, all roads led to Rome. From Rome, it was able to spread all over the world. And, and, one of the, and so one of the things that I've been uh, kind of meditating on lately as I've been thinking through the, the story of the early church and uh, really, you know, whenever I'm, I'm thinking through our church's values and our mission, I'm always going back to Acts, specifically to Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to the end of the chapter and thinking uh, about what God has called us to do because that was the original community picture that God had placed in my heart as we launched out to plant the church of what I wanted our church to look like. Um, and what you see is the story of Zion is, is, is very similar to this up, up to the point of uh, Acts chapter 8, which is in the beginning, we grew really fast. Um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget some of the images I took at IS30. Uh, if you you don't know, IS30 was the school that we used to meet at a little over a year ago before we were uh, kicked out of the school and we started meeting at house churches. And I remember standing in IS30, I still have this picture on my phone, in uh, mid-September, I think, of, of 2016. And, uh, you know, we only had a few more weeks uh, till we had our first preview service that October and we had just landed the spot. It was a miracle, the most beautiful auditorium in Bay Ridge. And I took a picture of the auditorium. Uh, and, you know, the occupancy said something like 250. And I thought, man, God, if you can fill this in 10 years, what a testament to your name that would be in Bay Ridge. A little did I know within two years on Easter Sunday, that auditorium would be completely packed. Uh, and within three years, we would be putting overflow chairs all over the auditorium to fit the capacity of people coming in to hear the good news of Jesus's resurrection. It happened a lot faster than I expected or anticipated. The grace of God was upon our church uh, for something special to happen. And the community that I saw flourish from that was honestly just the most beautiful community that I had ever been a part of, church community, and, and some of the most beautiful church community that I, ever, I had ever seen or witnessed uh, around. And uh, every church, uh, every Sunday, I, I should say, I, I'll never forget the feeling of walking into the service and just thinking like, God, how did this happen? It makes no sense. Uh, this, it, was, it was a complete act of God and just that sense of, of awe every single week coming to Sunday and thinking, God, th this is a work of your hand. This is a work of your spirit and of your power. There's just no way that anybody could have anticipated this or planned for this. And, uh, you know, as we were experiencing growth and experiencing incredible community, uh, after that, we started to experience some issues as a growing church. Uh, thankfully, nobody was struck down dead, you know, during a service, uh, but we had some other issues that we were experiencing. As we were growing fast, we started to see some cracks in the ways that we were doing church and looking at our values and asking if they were matching up, um, you know, with, with our church. I still remember a few years in, uh, you know, this new person that had come for a little while and decided that they weren't going to be uh, stay in, the, in, in our church, and I asked them why, and they said, well, they had been there for a little while, and they didn't feel like they made any real friendships, and that was heartbreaking to me because I thought, man, that was the one thing we really got right, you know, in our church. That was a, one of the things I was most proud of uh, in our church, but uh, there started to be, you know, some issues that happened. You know, there were 
there was conflict uh, with people in the church where instead of resolving the conflict, people would rather walk away from the community. And those things were hurtful too, but I, I was realizing that um, with any true community, as I've spoken on many times before, there is a time of chaos that happens and a time of chaos uh, that comes in and that, that time is what brings us into true community. And so starting to see the cracks and some of the things around us of like, hey, this, as we're growing, it, 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 th- there's natural things that we're starting to see occur here. Started to get my head, um, put our heads together as a leadership and think, all right, how do we continue to live into our values in a deep way? And as we started to pray and, and think through and consider and begin to attack these issues, that was when I got the fateful call from the principal that our time at the school had come up. Um, and uh, I, I look back at that moment and I remember you know, my last sermon at IS30, I specifically told everybody, don't be mad at the school. Don't be mad at the principal. Uh, I wanted to be. I wanted to call lawyers. I wanted to uh, sue the city. And I could have done all of these things. And I, I could have put my foot down and made sure that we didn't leave and, and get my way. I, I think that would have been very possible and within our human limits. But as I prayed, God said no. Um, that this was his doing. And I remember thinking about the day I would email the principal and tell her thank you for what she did because of what it did for our church. And I think that day has come because what I realized is that as we were growing, as we were looking to solve some of the issues that we were seeing as a church, we actually weren't doing the original thing that God had called us to do uh, as a church. We weren't fulfilling our first official mandate for this church, to be a church that spreads the gospel, planting communities all over NYC, not just Bay Ridge. When we were experiencing everything that we were, and as the early church was experiencing everything that they were, it is easy to become reactive, and that's not bad. We had things to solve, we, we, had, uh, we, we had people to take care of, we had stuff to steward, and, and getting engrossed in all that, it's very easy to lose sight of what we were originally called to do. And so we were trying to figure out how to accommodate all these people that were coming, all these new people that were coming, the people that were already there, and we did not want to be unfaithful to that. And in their process, our com- in the process of all this, our community was growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And the thought of sending out more congregations or planting, uh, seeding other communities in other neighborhoods felt like torture because in order to multiply, you have to split. And nobody wanted to split. I, I was the last person that wanted to see anybody go. I, I see every person in the church as family and not being able to worship together was just... Honestly, it was something I couldn't see. But from the very first leaders that came to the church, it was clear to every single one of them that our intention for our church was never to be a megachurch. We never wanted to grow a huge church in one location. What we wanted to do was we always wanted to plant out witnessing communities and new neighborhoods to seed the gospel in as many places as possible. And so... Enter in that fateful moment in November of 2019 and then into 2020 where God brings hardship to our church. And yes, it was hardship, but I can tell you over the last year that God has done some of the most amazing things in our church that we could never have planned for. The amount of leaders that I've seen raised up, the amount of preachers and hosts and servers that I've seen step up to the plate, the amount of people that I've seen dive deeper in community, and this is not superficial community, but I'm talking about community where you confront each other on your sin, where you follow up with each other, where you see how you're doing, where you walk through pain, grief, suffering, and loss with each other. The the amount that I've seen our church grow in these different things has been mind-blowing to me And it solves so many of the issues that we were praying for and seeing, but it was done through the hardship that God allowed to happen in our church. 
And so even as the persecution started in the early church and that spread them out, I see the same thing that happened in our church where God used this hardship that came to our church in order for us to fulfill the original mission that he had given us. And so God put us back on track with what he originally called us to do, to plant out witnessing communities in more neighborhoods around New York City that are not experiencing lots of church plants. You know, there are a lot of new churches starting in New York, but they're starting in certain neighborhoods, but not all the neighborhoods. And I've always seen our church as a church that plants in neighborhoods where you don't see a lot of new churches being planted. And, um, you know, as when I think about it, if you ask yourself, Justin, what is planting congregations or seeding the gospel in these neighborhoods, what does that have to do with the mission? When A lot of times when we think of mission, we think of, you know, preaching the gospel at our job or at our family reunion or posting a status about how Jesus saves. And we think of things like that. We think about it on a very individualistic level because most of us have only experienced God on an individualistic level. You know, we have a personal relationship with God and we invite somebody else to go to church so that they can have a personal encounter, build a personal relationship so that they can make that same invitation to somebody else to build their personal individual relationship with God. And so we think of mission so often in terms of individualistic evangelism and individualistic preaching, but when you look at the mission of the church as a whole, the mission of the church was to plant congregations. Was If you look specifically in Acts, it was to go into new cities, into new neighborhoods, to start a house church that would then seed other churches and a network of house churches that would then spread rapidly around the region, the area. And so if you look at the mission as a church, yes, our mission is to preach the gospel, but if you, if you look at the statistics, if you look at scripture, and you look around you, you realize that the best way for us to fulfill the mission is to plant new witnessing communities. The stats are all there. Do you know that the uh, churches that reach the most unsafe people are churches that are five years old or younger? That doesn't mean that churches that are over five years old don't reach young, uh, new Christians. It just means that statistically, the churches that reach the most unsaved people are churches that are five years old or younger. Um, if you look at the stats in uh, New York City specifically, and you look at how much New York City has grown in population over the past few decades, and then you correlate that with how many new churches have grown to reach the amount of people that are living and, and growing and moving into the city, you realize that the church growth trajectory is much different than the population growth trajectory. So in order for the gospel to consistently reach all these people, the answer is not four or five megachurches that have 10,000 people. That's just a drop in the bucket. The answer is thousands of churches that can then fill the gap to reach these millions of people that are living and moving into the city over the last few decades. If you look at the statistics of Gen X, uh, millennials and Gen Z, and you look at the, uh, the amount of uh, the statistics of these people leaving the church versus the rate of them coming into the church, we realize that there is a huge gap. There is a lot more people leaving the church than there are coming into the church. And so when you, when you start to look at the state of the church in America, and then you start to look at the Gospels and the, the book of Acts, and then you start to look at statistics, you come to one true, clear understanding that what this city needs is more witnessing communities in more neighborhoods that will work together for the power of the gospel to bring the kingdom of heaven to every single block and to every single neighbor. And that, I believe, was our original mission and call as a church and where I believe God is realigning us to walk into in the future. So if you're wondering where we are going at this point as a church, um, then you must not be on our app. 
Uh, I'm going to put a plug out there now. Every single week, you get a, a plug for you to jump on our app. A few weeks ago, I posted on our app uh, what I believe God has called us as a church to focus on for the next couple of years, what we are going to put our resources into, what we are going to put our energy into as a church, what are we going to be aiming towards? And I posted that, but I'm gonna share it now publicly, and I am so excited to share this publicly because this has been burning in my heart for the last couple of months. I've been praying over it and talking it with the talking over it with the elders, uh, with the leadership team. We have been talking with the the house churches uh, that that. Um, uh, the some of the specific house churches that are going to be getting involved in this, uh, sharing it with the members, uh, and then posting it with uh, on the app. But I'm excited to finally announce this publicly: uh, what God has put in our path to do. You know, I, coming out of COVID nineteen, we're kind of thinking about. You know, we we realized God wanted us to get a space, a permanent location. And as I started praying towards that, God spoke something very clear to me. And what God spoke to me was, Justin, what you are going to do uh, when you regather is you are not supposed to try to recapture the past. And that hit home because I realized when I thought about what I wanted to come back to, a lot of the pictures that I wanted to come back to is, is what we did at IS30. But that was not God's invitation. For Zion, that was not God's invitation. For me, the past is not what God has for us. We are now looking to the future, and planting out new congregations is the future that God has put in our path. Over the next two years, we believe that God has called us to plant out three congregations, one in Brooklyn, one in Staten Island, and one in Queens. As we think about getting a permanent location in Brooklyn, we are thinking about how can we replant and, and walk into something in a new and greater way, taking all the learnings of what God has done over the last year in this season and not leaving that, but incorporating it and, and looking at what God has done and making something new. And what it the analogy that I, I keep feeling in my heart as I pray is just this analogy of a seed. And when you have a plant that gives a seed off to spring something new, what happens is the, the plant will drop a seed, but the seed is dead. And out of that dead thing, when it gets buried in the ground, springs off new life. But what that one plant does is when it gives off seed, it doesn't just give off one seed. Usually it will give off multiple seeds and all of those seeds will fall into the ground and out of that will pop out new life. And I think of, you know, I, we're in New York, so I don't have a garden, but I have uh, right outside my house, I have, um, you know, I, I live, uh, you have to walk up the stairs to the second floor to get to my apartment. And uh, when you get up the stairs outside, we have these two little planters that have been there for as long as probably the house has been there, 130 years. Uh, and I enjoy flowers, and so I usually plant some flowers. Me and Heather have been doing it together the last two years. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I planted some flowers, um, and they died all winter. And if you looked at the planter outside of my house, it just looks like a bunch of dead things that were there from the summer. But when the summer came back, what happened was those fl the, those flowers came back, but more of them came black and I, back, and I didn't reap plant them. I didn't do anything to them. It's just that their seeds were waiting in there during that season. And when the summer came and the rain came and the sun came, what happened was it bloomed uh, even more flowers than a year before. And I keep getting that picture for our church, that uh, this kind of beautiful plant flower was, as I looked at our church, this beautiful life that God had created, uh, had kind of spread forth this seed um, and over the last year, year it, it's been hard, and, and people have asked me, like, oh, how's your church doing? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen anybody. You know, you guys see me every week, uh, but I see, you know, 95% of you, I, I 
probably haven't seen for the last year. And so I don't know. I used to see everybody every week. It was easier for me to gauge how the church was doing. I don't know how many people come. I don't know, you know how everybody's doing. I don't know where everybody is. And I, I wish I can have an individual conversation with all the people, but you know, I got four kids. It's just impossible. Um, and, and so what, what I believe has happened, though, is that, yeah, it's, it's been a year of, of hardship. It's been a year of like, man, what, it, what, is, what is going on? What's happening? Uh, but out of this, what God has planted and what is going to grow is going to be not just one beautiful thing, but it will be multiple beautiful things, multiple communities, witnessing communities that will continue to expand the kingdom of God and the kingdom's influence into different neighborhoods, into different places in society, into different blocks. And so we will remain one church, but we are going to be planting out several witnessing congregations What is most exciting about this is that we are going to make mission a part of every single level of our church, no matter what we do. And so as we move forward, we uh, are are looking at the future and saying, how do we incorporate mission into every single level of what we do? And I think that is one of the deep invitations that God is changing uh, uh, about our church as we move forward. Now, you may be asking the question, like, how is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And you know what? The truth is this. I don't know. But I know that God has spoken to us, that this is clearly what he has called us to do. And so every waking moment for our staff, every waking moment for me, what our elders are talking about, what we are praying through, what the leadership team is discussing, what we are executing towards, is to making this a reality, to have three healthy, functioning congregations within the next two years that we can continue to see as a healthy place to multiply the work that God is doing in our church, to make sure that whatever we see in a hosting capacity for people, that we are seeing mission as a part of it, that the house churches that will continue to be part of our ethos or our DNA as a church in the future, that mission will be a part of that to see new neighborhoods for the gospel of Jesus. Never again do I want to an IS-30 experience for us to get us back on what our mission has been from the beginning. I don't want God to have to bring us through a place of hardship to remind us what he called us to do originally. And so that is why mission is going to be intertwined in everything that we do. When we say our mission as a church is the mission of the church, the global church, the universal church, what I mean is we are called to plant witnessing communities all over the city by proclaiming the good news to all who will listen. This was the mission of the church. This was the original thing that was handed down by Jesus when he didn't look at one person and said, it is your job to proclaim the gospel to one other person. He looked at his disciples and he said, it is their job to make disciples of all nations. This was a corporate thing for a corporate church to participate in together. And when we think of our mission as a church, we cannot any longer think of it as an individual mandate to preach the gospel. We must think of it as a body, a a collective mandate, as one body to preach the gospel in which all of us serve our part with our different gifts to make sure that we are all part of the church and the mission of the church together. Everyone is invited to participate in this as a church. As we begin to launch each permanent location in each of these boroughs in in Brooklyn, Staten Island, and Queens, you can be a part of the team that helps out with that launch. Whether it is uh, sharing on Facebook, whether it's talking to people about it, showing up, helping, whatever it is, there will be opportunity for everybody to be a part. Do you know that there, there, there are so many crazy statistics out there? 
Uh, but just showing up to participate at an event is helping get the mission out there because it is more likely for people to come back to a church that has more than 60 people in a room because they don't feel as awkward in a group that is lower than that. They feel too seen, right? For all my introverts out there, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so just showing up and participating, for some of you will be you participating in the mission, but God has called us, all of us as a church, to deeply participate in this for many of us to serve, to give, whatever it is that we are called to do, to pray. I want to make sure everybody is clear and understand that as we thought through budget for this year and as we will for next year, our budgeting will be worked to help make this happen, which means all of our giving, everything that you give to the church is going towards the mission of the church, to making this happen. That as we think of this mandate that God has given us, to plant three congregations within the next two years, to have them healthy, growing congregations that are able to multiply themselves, that this, everything, all of our resources are going to be making this happen. And so as you give to the church financially, as you give of your talents, of you, as you give of your treasure, you can confidently know that you are a part of making this happen, that this is going towards this mandate that God has given us, this, this strategy that we are going to be working towards, this aim of our church. Every time you share about it, every time you show up, every time you pray for it, you are part of the mission for the church. This is something that we can all be a part of and all be involved in. When I think about our church you know, and, and what God wants to accomplish in it. The best reference point I have for our age is my little Levi Pie. If you guys know my little Levi Pie, he is my second born son and he is four years old. Uh, he is consequently the same age as our church because crazy God called Heather and I to plant a church uh, in the middle of her giving birth to Levi. Uh, and so our first uh, interest event and our second interest event as a church, in between those two events, Levi was born. And so when I think of, when I look at Levi and I see Levi, really I see what our church looks like uh, in its age, you know, and even though our church to me feels like we've been around for decades, I realize that we are still in its toddler phase. We are still in this young church plant phase that I'd never look at Levi and, and think, well, he accomplished all he has been called to do, right? That would be crazy. He's just four years old. In the same way, church, we are just getting started. We may have had a hard year. We may have had an incredible time as a church thus far. We may have made deep friendships and we may have done a lot in the past year, but let me tell you something. I believe that we are just getting started as a church, that when I look at Levi's life and I see his whole life ahead of him, I look at our church the same way and I see a whole life ahead of us. I am dedicated to New York City. This is my home. I grew up here. I'm fourth generation on both sides. I have nowhere to go. And so no matter how bad it gets here, no matter how crazy it gets here, I know that God has called this city as my mission ground, as my place, where I am called to serve him and serve the body. And so when I look at the thing that God has called us to do as a church, the ministry that God has called us to proclaim as a church, I think, man, we have so many bright years ahead of us. Right now, God has just been forming us. He's been really setting in our habits. If you think about how you raise a young child, in those early years, you set those important habits, you set those important boundaries, you set the important understandings of obedience and, and what is right and what is wrong. And that is what God has been setting the, the foundation as, as Jesus is our cornerstone. He has been setting the foundation of our church, who we are going to become. And so with that, I'm really excited about how God is going to build us up as a people and as a body. What we are called to do is, is called to continue to be obedient. If you know the story of our church, you know, one day maybe we'll write it down, but it has been a story of obedience. 
A story that when you look at obedience, what obedience really is, is a story of faith, of faith in God and what he has called us to do. Because, you know, if you look at the hall of faith in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, you realize that obedience and faith are two sides of the same coin, that God calls his people constantly to do things that don't make sense. When we look at what God had called us, when, when I first looked at this and I thought, God, the resources that it will take, the, the, the people power that it's going to take. We, we've never even had a permanent location for our Brooklyn uh, congregation. How are we going to now think about all this when we think about all the logistics? God wasn't inviting me to think about all those things, even though those things are important. God was inviting me to have faith in him and to obey what he was calling to do calling us to do. And so we step into this new season with faith and obedience, saying, God, we know that this is what you called us to do. And I can tell you that in the last two months, I've already seen God's provision come in ways that I could have never imagined. I've seen God come through in ways that I could never imagine. And I've seen God do things that would say, yeah, we are on the path to just continue to see God move so that I will always say this, that we will look back and at what has happened in our church and we will never be able to say, look at what I have done. But we will always be able to point at it and say, look at what God has done. Church, this next season is gonna be crazy. There may be a lot of questions. I invite you to go on the app. I posted a bunch of videos in FAQ format. You can go on there and look at them if you are curious about what's going to happen and where this is going. Go on the app. It's uh, app.zion.myc. You can find all the information there. But I just want you to know that when you think of the church, think of my little Levi. And you look at Levi and you think he has his whole life ahead of him. When I see our church, when God sees our church, we have so much ahead of us, so much that God wants to do. And over these next two years, as we aim towards this, as we focus Towards this, I believe that it is just the next step in the direction and, and of what God has called us as a church to do and to be faithful towards as his body. And we are going to be obedient towards that. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your call. Lord, I thank you that you asked for one thing from us, and that's obedience. Lord, and I thank you that you continually call us to realign ourselves to the mission that you had given the church. And Lord, I get excited to think about the gospel going forth in places that we have not been able to preach it before. I get excited about your kingdom expanding. Lord, I get excited about the people that are gonna come to know you over these next couple of years about the baptisms that we're going to see, about the ground we're going to take for the kingdom of God. I get excited about these things, Father. But Lord, help us to stay a church, Lord, faithful to your call and obedient to your calling, Father. That, Lord, that we would never fall into the extravagant schemes of man, that we would never fall in, God, to human wisdom and strategy, but we would place our first ministry, Lord, at your feet and before your throne in prayer to do what you have called us to do. Lord, I thank you for four years that you have kept us, four years that you have used us, four years that you have worked through us, four years, God, that you have done the impossible with us. Lord, and I thank you for the many years to come of what you want to see happen. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.